All right, we're going to be in here on the bottom of Hamwood Bet, just do a little chazara from what we ended off with yesterday, which is Amar Rabbi Yochanan. When I was a young man, Amina Milta de Sheilna de Sabia, I said something that I asked of the elders, Vishtaka Kavati, and it turned out that it was like I had suggested. Hamat, this is from the cities that we discussed, that the Aremivtsar, which were Ha Tzidim, Tzer, Hamat, Rakat, Vikinaret. So these were cities that had walls in the time of Yeshua Minun, and the Gemara is discussing these locations of Hamat, Rakat, and Kinaret. So Rabbi Yochanan suggests that Hamat zu Teveria, Velamini Grashimach Hamat, Ashum Chamei Teveria, it's called Hamat because of the hot springs that are in Teveria, Rakat zu Tzipori, Velamini Rakat, Mishum Demidlaya Karakta Nenaro, because it was like the steep banks of the river, because Sipori was up in the mountains. And we'll see that the Gemara discusses with regards to Mechabalate Shabbat, that you should be from the people of Tveria when you're Mechabal Shabbat, and you should be like the people of Sipori, since Tveria is down in the valley, low down, it's at the level of the Yam Kinneret, which happens to be below sea level. So therefore the sun disappears from the horizon or behind the mountains much earlier. So if you accept Shabbat into Verior, you're accepting Shabbat much earlier. And then you should be Mimiltzi Shabbat Bitsipoli, which is up on the mountain. So when you're up on the mountain, you can see the sun on the horizon for much longer when it's setting in the western side. And therefore your Shabbat will go out much later. So you should be the one who accepts Shabbat into Verior and let Shabbat go in Sipoli, which means that you'll bring in Shabbat early and let it go late. But that's the locations of these two places, is Tveria and Sipoli. Kinaret Zuginosar. Is referring to Ginosar, let me question Kinaret, Dimitike Pera Kikala de Kinare, because its fruits are sweet like the sound of the lyre. Amarova, Omi Igalamanda Ma Rakat Lav Teveriahi, is there anybody who doesn't say that the Rakat is identified with Teveria? Rabbi Yochanan said Hamat is Teveria, and Rova says, no, Rakat is Teveria. Bahaki Shochiv Inish Hocha. When someone passes away over here, over here meaning Bavel, Hatam Saktile, in Eretz Yisrael, they give a eulogy for him. Hachi, this is what they say. Gadol hu b'sheshach. He was a great man in Sheshach. As Rashi says, Sheshach is Bavel in Atbash. When you exchange the first letter for the last, the second the letter for the second the last letter. So Bet, Bet is the second letter. So the second last letter is Shin. So they turn in Shin, Shin. And then the Lamed swaps for the Chof. So you have Sheshach, which is Bavel. Vishem, Vishem lo bereket. And he has a name in Shemlo Barakat. And he has a name in Rakat. So there you see that the person who passes away in Bavel, so he was known or he was a big person in Bavel, but he's also known in Rakat. Now here there's no nothing in the statement that makes you believe that Rakat is Tiveria, but the assumption being that since Tiveria was the center of Torah at that point in time, so when they say Berakat, Rakat must be the reference to Tiveria. So when the Saptanim, when they talk about this individual passed away, they say that he is a great person in Bavel. Beshem lo Berakat, but his name reached as far as Tiveria. Bechim aski Aron And when they bring him up to Eretz Yisrael in his Aron, Saptileochi, this is how they eulogized him. So they had the practice in their day as well, to live outside of Eretz Yisrael. And to come in Yarom after you passed away to show up and make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael and be buried in Eretz Yisrael. 
when they brought the Aron up from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, this is what they used to say, so as Rashi says, Oavei Sridim is Oavei Yisrael. Yoshvei Raka, the inhabitants of Raka, Tzu'u Bikiblu Haruge Omek. Go out and greet those that were killed in the valley. The valley being Bavel, as we know that Bavel is deep down in a valley. It has a, a found along a lower plain. So therefore, again, Yoshvei Raka, he's speaking to Tiberia as the center and saying that those that lived in Raka should go out and greet Yoharuge Omek. And when Rabbi Zera passed away, one of the eulogizers said this, Eretz Shinar Hara Vialda. The Eretz Shinar, which is a reference to Bavel, conceived him and gave birth to him. Eretz Svi, which references Eretz Israel, either because of the deer or Svi, because the Gemara says in other places that it's, it's fast and that its fruits ripen very quickly. Gidla Shaushueha that it brought up or grew the one of its delight. Now, the, one of its delight means that of Bavel. The pride of Bavel was brought up by Eretz Israel, And that's because Rabbi Zeira made Aliyah to Eretz Israel. He leaves Bavel and makes Aliyah to Eretz Israel. It's found in the Agarot to Eretz Israel at the end of the Gemara and Tubot. Oin Amra Rakot. Whoa, is us, says Rakat, meaning Tiberia. Ki ibda klichem data. Because we've lost its utensil of glory, meaning that, or its beauty. So Rabbi Zeira, who was a Gadol B'Torah in Eretz Yisrael, so again, the reference to Rakat. So over here you see three different eulogies. The first eulogy for someone who passes away in Bavel, and it seems to be that they were buried in Bavel. The second eulogy for someone who lived their entire life in Bavel and only comes once they passed away, they make Aliyah in their Aron. And then the third case is where a person makes Aliyah while they're alive, Rabbi Zeira, and then that's the eulogy for that individual. But in all of these cases, Rakat is the reference to Eretz Yisrael, Tveria being, that, again, the center of Torah, a location that, in the time of Tanaim, where most of the Jews live in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, and that is this part of the center of Torah, because it's the bridge between Bavel and Eretz Yisrael. So over there... Tiveria is the, in a sense, capital of that area. And so each time it mentions Rakad, it's obviously referencing Tiveria. So we see that Rakad is Tiveria. That's what Rova is saying. So then he says, El Rova. Rova changes what Rabbi Yochanan says, and he redefines these cities. He says, Hamat, Zo Chamei Gerar. That refers to the Chamei Gerar, or the hot springs of Gerar. Rakad, Zu Tiveria. Rakat is Tiveria. Kineret Zuginusar. So, Lamini Grashama Rakat. So, why is Tiveria called Rakat? Shafilu Rekanim Sheba Mleim Mitzvot Girimon. Because even the empty ones of Tiveria are full of mitzvot Girimon. I mean, it seems like it was a very religious city, a city in which the people were known for doing mitzvot and being Shomrei Torah mitzvot. Rabbi Yirmiyamar Rakat Shema. No, its real name is Rakat. Tiveria. Tiveria was its nickname. Because it sits in the center of Eretz Yisrael. Again, obviously, Tiveria is not the center of Eretz Yisrael. So either you have to say that in the time of the Tanaim, where again, where the northern area of Eretz Yisrael is inhabited, that Tiveria is the center of the area in the north. Or because the Beitin 
and the yeshiva moved up to Tiberia, and Rabbi is found in Tiberia, it is the center of Torah. And the same way that Yerushalayim is Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, is considered to be the center. So to now, Tiberia, which is now the place of Torah, is the center of Eretz Yisrael at that time. Rabbi Amar, Rakat Shema, Rakat is its true name. Because it's a nice place. As the Tosavot says, what does it mean? There are gardens and there are orchards. It's a beautiful place. It is a tranquil and wonderful place to live. So it's a nice place to see and to live in. So that's why Tiveria is the nickname. Right from here, we're going to move on to other names of places where the Gemara is trying to identify a name that is found in Tanakh. And they want to identify it with a modern city, modern being in the time of the Gemara. Amar Ze'era Kitron Zotzipori. This place, Kitron, that is mentioned, we'll see in a second, is Tzipori. So why is it called Tzipori, which was the name of the city in the time of the Gemara? Because it sits on the top of a mountain like a bird. Is Kitron really Tzipori? Kitron is in the area of Zvulun, Dichtiv. Zvulun, Lohorishit Yoshve Kitron, Vet Yoshve Nahalo. So here in the beginning of Shoftim, it's describing what is going to precipitate the problems that come in Sefer Shoftim and the difficulties that Benazir are going to face, which is that in the conquest of Eretz Israel, Yoshua leads the people through the major parts of conquest. And then he sends the Shvatim out to their separate locations to finish off the conquest in their individual areas. And in those individual areas, they're supposed to clear out the inhabitants of Eretz Canaan. But Zvulun, Lohit Rish, at Yoshvei Kitron, they do not remove the inhabitants of Kitron, and they do not remove the inhabitants of Nalo, but rather they make them Lamas. They tax them, they subjugate them, but they do not remove them. And the Navi tells us in Shoftim, that that's going to basically precipitate the problem or lead to the problem in the future, which is these inhabitants are going to cause the people to leave the Derech Hashem to worship of Zarah and cause problems for Zvulun because they didn't take care of the inhabitants of their area. Now, it's in the area of Zvulun, so then it can't be that Kitron and Sipori are synonymous. Uzvulun mitraim amidotav hava. And Zvulun used to complain now, Amidotav here does not mean about his character, but rather, as Rashi says, Midah. Midah here means like Midah, connected Midah, on his chelek, on that which he received. So Zvulun complained about his lot in life. Shinamar. Zvulun am cherif nasholamut. Zvulun were willing to risk their lives to the death in the battle against Sisra, and Naftali likewise, on the high places of the fields. That these are the Shvatim that came to the call of Barak in order to do battle with Sisra. So, Matam, why does he want to die? Why does he feel that way? Mishum de Naftali, Because Naftali got the great fields on the high fields. So now, truthfully, the Pasuk they are quoting is from Sefer Shoftim by Shirat Dvorah. And over there it said that Zvulam Achavif Nafsholamut was that Zvulun was fearless in its coming to battle against Sisra. And it's a compliment of Zvulun. Here the Gemara is reading that Zvulun Amcharif Nafsholamut is that they are cursing themselves or they are upset with their lot in life to the point that they want to die, meaning that they are unhappy. 
Why are they unhappy? Because of Naftali Almiromesa de Amar Zulun Ifnea Kodesh Baruchu Ribono Shalalam Lachiai Natatlem Sadodu Gramim. To my brethren, you gave them fields and you gave them vineyards. Filinatata Harim Ugvot, and you gave me a bunch of mountains and peaks. Lachai Natatlem Aratzot. To my brethren, you gave them lands. Filinatata Yamim Vinarot, and me, you gave bodies of water and rivers. I've given you a gift in your possession and your, your area, which they all need you for, and that is the chilazon. They should call the people to the mountain. They should offer up the sacrifices, the korbanot of the righteous. They shall take of the gifts of the sea. Usfunei timunei chol. They will take of the treasures that are hidden in the sand. Tani Rav Yosef. Sfunei. What is this bracha that's given to Zvulun in Zotah Bracha? Usfunei timunei chol. And as Rashi says over here, Usfunei, the Gemara is translating as Safun, which means something important, a treasure. And then, that's talking about the Chilazon, from which you get the Tchelet. Timunei zutarit. Rashi translates tarit as tunina. It's a type of fish, which is not tuna, but rather the tunny fish. And then chol zuzuchuchit levana. It has a clean and pure type of sand. It creates the white glass that is an expensive, sought-after type of glass that's made from this white sand. So Hashem says, I gave you these three gifts, which everybody's going to want from you. Who's going to let me know? I mean, these are items that are found in nature. And anybody who traverses this area or anybody who comes to that area can pick up whatever they want. So he says, There they will bring up the zvachim of tzedek, the righteous offerings. This will be the sign to you. Anybody who takes these gifts from you without paying, His business will not succeed. His business dealings will fail if he takes it without paying. V.E. And the reason is because Shamiz Bechuziv Chaytzedek, because just like by a Kurban, one is precluded from bringing Gezel for a Kurban, meaning Hashem does not accept a Kurban that comes from Gezel, from theft, so too over here, the business dealings of these individuals will not succeed if they get it through theft, meaning they get it without paying. V.E.S.A.G.D.A.T. Kitron Zutzi Pori if you really think that Kitron et Sipori amai mitraim al midotav, what was he complaining about? Vehahav yet Sipori, milto da difatuva. Vehad Sipori, that's a wonderful place. Vehitema, the reason that Sipori, even if he had it, wasn't such a great section or part of his Yerusha, because the late bazavat chalabud vash, because it doesn't have the flowing milk and honey, which Rashi describes as ha'izimo chlim te'inim. The goats are eating the figs, vadvash notef mehen, and the honey is dripping off of them, vachalav zav minayizim, and the milk is flowing from the goats, nasim keminachal, and they become like a river together. So the mixture of the honey of the figs together with the milk of the goats makes it zavat chalav udvash. Others say that the Devash is Devash shel Tmarim and not shel Te'inim, that it's talking about dates and not figs, 
But either way, the goats are participating, enjoying the fruits, and together with the sweetness, the liquid that's emerging from the fruits and the milk flowing from the goats, you have an Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. I saw the flowing milk and honey of Tzipori. It was 16 by 16 mil. And there are, each 16 mil is equivalent of four parts of oat, so it was four by four parts of oat. That maybe it wasn't as big as what his brothers got, meaning that he got a nice piece of but it wasn't what everybody else got. I saw the flowing milk and honey of the entire Eretz Yisrael. It was the equivalent of the distance between these two locations, until Akra Dutubakni, Esrim Vitartin Parse, Urka, 22 parsaot long, Upuchya Shita Parse, and 6 parsaot in width. So if you do the math here, in terms of square parsaot of Zavat Chalavudvash, then the entire Eretzisrael has 6 by 22, or 132. Sipori has 4 by 4 per sot, which is equivalent of 16. 16 into 132 is better than 112. It's closer to 1 eighth in the mathematical relationship between them. And therefore, you got a disproportionate amount of Zavat Chalabudvash. So that certainly cannot be the problem or the complaint that he is raising. So Gemara says, Afil Hachi, Sadot Ukramim, Adifale. And then he still wanted. Fields and Kramim, they were more important or they were more valued to him. You can see that from his complaint because it says, His complaint relates to what he saw that Naftali had, which was the Marume Sadeh. So despite all the goodness that was in his territory, nevertheless he was still jealous or still really wanted what was in the territory of others, which was the Pardesim, Sadot, and Kramim to have those be the gifts that he has in his area, and not the gifts that Hashem tells him are found in his lot, or in his area where his shevet settled. So in the end, we could claim that Sipori is identified with Kitron, because even though it sounds like Sipori should not be found in the area of Zvulun, because Zvulun's complaining about not having these items, and Sipori does have these items. Nevertheless, the Gemara says that it wasn't enough. Even though he had Sipori, he wanted a chilek that had an entirety, or the span of his entire area where the Shevet inhabited would have all of these Sadot, Kramim, and Pardeseot. Okay. Amar Rabbi Yabau, Ve'ekron Te'aker. Ekron will be uprooted. Zuke Zari Batedom. This is Caesarea, the daughter of Edom. She Yosheved Ben Acholot. It sits among the sands. Vehi Aita Yatei Tukwad Yisrael Bimei Yivanim. That was a peg that stuck to Bnei Yisrael in the times of the Greeks. Ushu Gavra Ba'achut Beit Chashmonai. And when the Chashmonim succeeded in defeating the enemy, Vinitzchum, and they won the battle, Ayukorimota, Achidat Migdal Shir, that's the gears that we have here. But others say that Achidat, if you look on the side here, it's Achidat Migdal Tsur. It was the tower that was captured 
of the song of Shir, or most likely Tzur, which is of Tyre. And that would make sense, because in the time of the Ivanim, these were Greco-Syrians that were coming from the north, who probably had their capital up in the area of Tyre. And therefore, Tzur would be the right representation here. Later on, the Romans conquer this area, and then the Romans make Caesarea, the capital of the Roman governors of Judea, or the Roman governors of Eretz Yisrael, were housed or seated inside of Caesarea. So Caesarea represents this foreign rule over Eretz Yisrael. And that's what it means, Vekron Te'aker, that it will be uprooted, that is, Kezari Batedom, that is this city of the seat of the governments that are ruling over Eretz Yisrael, that will be uprooted. Amar Rabbi Yossi Bar Chanina, what is meant by the Pasuk in Zechariah, Vahasiroti Damav Mipiv, Vishikutsav Iben Shinav, I will remove the blood from his face or his mouth, Vishikutsav, and the disgusting things, Iben Shinav, from that which is between his teeth, Vinishar Gamhul Alukeno, and he will still remain for his God. So here the Gemara explains, Vasi roti damav mipiv. What does it mean that I remove the blood from his mouth? Zebait bamyo. It says the bait bamyo, which according to Rashi refers to the area where they worshipped Avodah There was a house or one of the leading gods of the Romans and an area of Avodah Or bait bima. Bima is the area where they brought their sacrifices before the Avodah Zarah, V'shikutzav mi ben shinav, ze Beit Galia shalahen, Beit Galia, again, the literal translation means the open place, or the pile, again, Rashi says that these were the leading gods of Edom, of the Romans at the time, so the negativity that's said in the Pasuk in Zechariah is that Hashem will remove these bad places from you, so it's going to remove these areas of Avodah Zarah, V'nishar gam what does that mean that they will remain those that are to God? Elu midrashot Bedom. These are the shuls and the bate midrash that are found in Edom. And that the good things that are in Dom, they will be preserved. Those things that were dedicated to God, those things will remain afterwards. They will not be destroyed. And then the Gemara says, Vaya Kaluf Biuda Vekron Kibusi. So be like a leader, a general in Yuda. Vekron kivusi, and Ekron will be like the Yivusi. So, Ela Tartayuriot Vekarkasiot Shveadom. These are the theaters or amphitheaters, Vekarkasiot and the circuses of Edom. That's one way to translate them. Tosafo brings an alternative translation, which is that Kirkasiot is Yeshim Fashim Bateavorat Kochavim. That these were areas of worship of Varizara, and they are Mechaneutam. They're giving them a kinoy, a nickname in a negative sense, which is Tartachot Lashon Cherpa, is embarrassment. In Arabic, that is the equivalent of a restroom. And Tosfot in the end says it's hard to say that because of the next statement of the Gemara, which is that the Kealuf Biudav Ekron Kiyivusi, Elo Tartiot Vekarkisiot Shibedom Sha'atidim Sereyuda, the Lamei Behen Torah Birabim. That these are the theaters and the circuses of Edom, that in the future, the leaders of Yehuda, the leaders of Kaisa, will teach Torah publicly in these locations. So the way Rashi is explaining it is, that they will be leaders in Yehuda, 
and Ekron Kivusi. And in Ekron, there will be places like Yivusi. Yivusi is a nickname for Yerushalayim, because Yerushalayim was an ear Yivusi. So the Ekron, which we saw before, references Batedom. In Ekron, there will be places like Yerushalayim. And that is Ke'aluf Biyudah. There will be like the leaders or the heads of Yudah. So these places, these locations that are dedicated in a dome, whether they are theaters and circuses for the entertainment, or there are places for the gathering of the people in a dome, whose purpose in general is not positive, nevertheless, in the end, they will be utilized for positive purposes, in that they will allow the great leaders of Kalal Yisrael to teach Torah in these locations. And, uh, of course, what comes to mind here is the Siyum Adaf Yomi that takes the tremendous sports stadiums and gathers Jews together to celebrate and listen to Divrei Torah and to Davin Birabim. So here you have the Tatriot and Kirkasiot Shibadom that are being used to Lamed Behen Torah Birabim. I'm Rabbi Yitzchak Leshem Zupamios. So he says Leshem is Pamios Pamios is actually mentioned in the Gemara in Bechorot as one of the sources for the Yardane, for the Jordan River, and is associated with the modern-day Banyas, which is one of the sources of the Banyas. And there it's described, Leshem is the area in Dan, when Dan left their area in the south and went up north to conquer a second area, Tel Dan, and they established a beachhead for the Shev of Dan up there, they went and conquered the areas of Leshem and Pamyus, which was the Banyas in Tel Dan. Ekron Te'aker, Zuke Zari Batedom, Shiaita Metropolin Shemelachim. It was a central city for the kings. Rashi gives you the etymology of the word. He says that Metra comes from the word like matron, the mother, and Polin means of rulership or leadership. So it was the mother of leadership, meaning that it was the center of leadership for the kings. Igadamre, Demrabe Bamelache. Why is it called that? Some say because they bring up the kings in that area, or the princes live in that area, it was a city of royalty, that sometimes the ruler of Caesarea was eventually appointed to be the emperor. Sometimes people got promoted from the metropolitan of the Melachim, or Ekron, to become a leader of the entire Roman Empire. So now the Gemara says, Caesare Virushalayim. Now, what's interesting here in general is that the Gemara is equating between a number of areas. Ekron, which is in the Navi, known as a city of the Plishtim. Nevertheless, it's here that the Gemara sees Ekron as being associated with Kezaria. That's number one. Number two is Tzur, Tyre, and Rome, or Batadom, are also associated with each other over here. And again, Kezaria is seen as the seat of the foreign government. So now you have Kisari Yerushalayim. Im yomar adam al tamein. If a person says that both Kisaria and Yerushalayim are destroyed, do not believe him. Yashvushtehem. They are both settled and they are both uh, built up and enjoying a renaissance of sorts. Al tamein. Do not believe him. Chorva Kisari v'yashva Yerushalayim. If they tell you that Kisaria is destroyed and Yerushalayim is flourishing, or Chorva Yushalayim, or Yushalayim is destroyed, Vyashva Kezari, and Kezari is inhabited and flourishing, Tahamein, then you can believe him. Shinamar, because it says in the Pasuk, Il Mal'a I will fill in the desolation or the destruction. But now the Gemara says it this way, Im Mleazu Charvazu. 
if this one is full, meaning that it's built and flourishing, Charvazu, the other one is destroyed. Imleazu, Charvazu. Meaning that their existence is mutually exclusive. And we're going to see that from the next Pasuk, which of Nachman Yisrael that when Rivka goes to Lidrosha Telukim, when she has the twins inside of her of Esav and Yaakov, one of the things that is said to her is that the Om Yamatz, and that the two will be in constant challenge or battle. Om Yamatz, which is that the one will overcome the other. And that means that there's never a period in time where they are both ascendant. It's either Virav Yavod Sa'ir, the elder one will serve the younger one, that's when Yaakov is ascendant, or when the younger one, Yaakov, doesn't act appropriately, then he will be strengthened and he will become ascendant and overthrow the younger one, and that's when Kezariah is ascendant or Bnei Adom are ascendant. So one of them will always be stronger than the other, either Yaakov or Esav will be ascendant. So here we see the mutually exclusive ability for the success of Edom and Yaakov or Yaakov and Esav. And therefore the Gemara uses as representations of Yaakov, Yerushalayim, the center of Yadut, the capital of Eretz Yisrael, versus Kezaria, which is again the Roman capital or the Roman rule inside of Eretz Yisrael. And so uh, Gemara says that it can't be that Kezari and Yerushalayim are coexisting. Is either one or the other, and that's the promise of the pasuk. What is meant by the pasuk? Yuchan Rasha, Balamad Sedek. Let you be favorably inclined towards the Rasha, but he will not learn Sedek. He will not learn righteousness. Amar Yitzchak Nifnei Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Yitzchak says to Hashem, Ribono Shalom, Yuchan Esav. Be generous towards Esav. Show favor towards Esav. Amar Lo Rasha. God says back to me, is evil. There's no, nothing good that you can say about him. There's no schut, no tzedek that you have in his defense. In the land that is upright, he'll be perverse. That's why she explains over here that he's going to destroy Eretz Yisrael. If that is what he does, then he should not benefit to see the greatness of Hashem. What is meant by the Pasuk? Al Titen Hashem, Mavayei Rasha, Zimamo Al Tapek, Yerumu Sela. The Pasuk shot of the Pasuk is that Hashem should not give in to the desires of the Rishaim and do not allow their evil plans to come to fruition because otherwise they will be exalted. But the Gemara here plays on the Zemamo al-tapeh, as Rashi explains, they are translating it as, do not take out his bit that is in his mouth. So, Amara Yaakov lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ibonu Shalom, al-titen le'esav rasha tavat libo. Do not grant Esav the desires of his heart. Zemamo al-tapeh. And do not take out his bit. As Rashi explains over here, Zemamo al-tapeh, al-tutzienum nichirav. Do not take out the nose ring. From his nose, kamin tabat barzel. It's an iron nose ring. That you put in a female camel, which was very hard to domesticate. They were extremely wild. And the only way to keep a hold of them was to put an iron ring in their nose to grab a hold of them and to take control of them. So that's what they're saying here. Don't remove that ring by which you control them. Do not let them loose. So here the Gemara says, What is an Zemamal to pick? 
What does it mean? Do not remove the bit or the ring, the nose ring that keeps them under control. This is Germamia Shaladom. There are alternative Girsaot, the Gro, as well as the, I think it's an En Yaakov and Rav Yaakov Emden all changed the Girsa here to Germania Shaladom. This references to Germany. If they were to get together and unify themselves, they would destroy the whole world. There are 300 tires of crowns, meaning that bearers of the crown, leaders, in Yamamia Shaladom. And inside of Rome, there are 365, call them governors or leaders, chieftains of sorts. And each day they go out to battle with each other. And one of them gets killed. And they have to go back and replace the king or the one that got destroyed. So here are the numbers of 300 or 365. 300 usually means an exaggeration. 365 are the solar days of the year. So here's some sort of indication that they had 365 leaders that ruled each on one day. And then they go out to battle each day, and then one of them is killed, and then they have to find a replacement, and they have to appoint leaders. But basically what the Gemara is suggesting over here is that there is a huge divisiveness inside of the area of Germany, or Germania Shaladom, which causes them to be bogged down in their internal strife. And since they're bogged down in their internal strife, they can't turn their sights outward to cause problems. And that's what Zamamo al-Tapek, don't take their bit from their mouth. I mean, you keep them chewing on their internal issues, so they don't have time to look outward and to unify and destroy the world, because if they ever do get together, they destroy the whole world, and we know that's true in general, that throughout the ages, Germany was made up of fiefdoms, or small tribal or state-like areas, but once they got themselves together, and they unified under a single leadership, they were successful at destroying the entire world. And that's exactly what's being described here in the Gemara, especially according to those that have the Girsa being Germania instead of Germamia. So anyway, all of these quotes here are because the author of the positions are Rabbi Yitzchak, so we're having a number of memorable from Rabbi Yitzchak. Here's another one, very famous. I worked very hard, and I was not successful. Do not believe him. I didn't try hard, and I was successful. Don't believe him. Yagati Umatsati, I worked hard and I was successful. Tamein, you can believe him. Obviously, the last permutation which is left out is that if he says, Lo Yagati Ulomatsati, I didn't work hard and I didn't find it, because obviously there you can believe him. So the Gemara says, Hani Mile Bidivre Torah. What we're talking about here is Divre Torah. Over Masabe Matan, when it comes to business dealing, success and parnoso, siato min shamayo. That all comes, that's mazel. That comes from in a shamayim. And even within Devar Torah, we have to qualify that. That's only the That only has to do with how sharp you are. The ability to remember that which you learned. That is, again, something that is your mazal, something that comes min hashamayim. Now, if you look in Rashi, because it seems almost counterintuitive, you would think the ability to maintain whatever you've learned is just a matter of review. So the more you invest, the more likely you are to remember it. On the other hand, the chdudei, 
to have a sharpness or a ability to discern and to make hakirot and so on and so forth, that you would think is siyata dishmaya, that's the capabilities of the individual. But here the Gemara says the opposite. And Rashi explains to you here, what does it mean? V'yesh yaga ve'inu motzeh. Rashi says, somebody, sometimes people try very hard and it doesn't work for them. I mean, a person can invest a lot, but unfortunately their memory doesn't keep up with them. They're unable to remember it. So there's no necessarily correlation between how hard you work and the amount that you remember. Truthfully, there is a correlation, but it's not a guarantee. Just because you work hard does not mean that you will remember it. And that's what Rashi says, that it's b'siyata dishmaya. Because even if you worked hard, there's a possibility that you won't know it. More likely you will. It's a greater percentage or a greater chance, but there's still a possibility that you won't. And that's what it means, misiata dishmaya. That it's not purely connected to the natural cause and effect of working hard, and therefore you will have. So that's why it's misiata dishmaya. In Masamatan, Parnoso is all up to a Kodesh Barucho. So it doesn't matter how hard you work or how little you work, it's all in Hashem's hands in the end to bring you the Parnoso that you need. So the one area where we say, is subject to Yagati Umatsati, that a person was able to be discerning and to understand and reconcile and work through the Gemara, that is something Yagati Umatsati, a person who delves in, a person who invests, will succeed. And there, there's a guarantee of a correlation between investment and success. If you see a person who's evil, a bad person, who the time is playing for him, which means basically things are going well for him, don't start up with him. Don't provoke him. Do not provoke those that are doing evil, those that are doing bad. Not only should you not provoke him, but he's going to be very successful. His paths are clear and successful at every moment. That when he gets an adjudication, it goes in his favor. The judgments rise up from opposite him. He sees his success versus his enemy. That all of those that cause him anguish or pain, he'll blow them and they'll disappear. So you see that in a time when a rasha is though things are going well for him, don't contend with him. Don't start off with him. Don't provoke him because at that moment, things are all going to go well for him. It's not just his business dealings. It's not just what you see. It's a complete success, which means that if you have to go to court, you're going to lose. And that he will override his enemies. So it's not worth having an altercation or contending with such an individual. Why says that really true? You can provoke and you can't start up with Rishayim in this world. Those that leave the Torah, the Rishayim will praise them. But those that are the guy, the protectors of the Torah, the guards of Torah, Yudgarubam, they will provoke, they will engage with them, contend with them. In this world, you're allowed to start up with the Rishayim. 
If somebody whispers you to say, Don't contend with those that are doing bad. Do not be jealous of those that are doing perverseness. So that's That's someone who's worried about their sins says that. But the true person, the true tzaddik, has no fear. And he will start up with the rishayim without any considerations. So when it says, Ella, the way to properly read that pasuk is, Al titchar bimreim liot kimireim. Do not contend with the, those that are evil to be like them. Do not be jealous of those that are perverse. Liot ko seavla, to become like them. So the al titchar and al is that you shouldn't not engage them, contend with them, but you should not Try to be like them. You should not be jealous of their success and you should not provoke yourself to be like them. And it also says, that your heart should not be jealous of those that are sinners. So you see here that the meaning of the Pasuk is not about provoking of kinah, you know, kanaim, pogim, bo which is a lashon of girui milchama, if starting up or engaging, contending with the individual. But now the Gemara says that it doesn't mean that, but rather kina means literally jealousy. Or titchar means shalotechos v'masav. You shouldn't grab on to engage in his actions. So the psukim don't mean don't provoke them, but rather do not emulate them. Do not be jealous of them. It says, lokasho havamili didei havamili dishmayo. Depends why you're contending with the Rasha. If it's because the Shem Shamayim, it's in defense of a Baruch Hu, there you can start up with them. Bimili Didei, when it has to do with your personal matters, stay far away. Because when Sha'am is when things are going well for him, he's going to ride right over you. Both of them deal with your matters. That is a person who's a complete Sadiq. That's the individual who can start up with your Shem. Here we're talking about a person who's not perfect, not perfect in the sense of absolutely perfect, but a person is not generally a tzaddik. He's a benoni, and therefore he shouldn't start up with the rishaim. So only a tzaddik and more can stand, stand up or start up with the rishaim. If you look back, who was the bala memra who says that you should start up with the rishaim? It was Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Mishimon Ben Yochai. Shem Ben Yochai, of course, is a person who's kulo Torah, a person who's a tzaddik gamur. So he's the one making that statement. But, for everybody else, Habit Sadiq Shainu Gamur, there, we say, stay away. Dam Ravuna, what is meant by the Pasuk? Lama Tabit Bogdim. Why do you watch rebellious ones? Tacharish, be silent, bibala rashat Sadiq Mimenu. When an evil person swallows the one who's more righteous than him. Sadiq Mimenu, Boleya. Only someone who is relatively more of a Sadiq than him can he swallow. Tzadik Gamur, But if he's a complete righteous individual, he can't swallow him. So a Rasha can only swallow someone who's on a relative basis more righteous than he. But if he's objectively more righteous, then the Rasha can't touch him. So there we see this distinction between a Tzadik Gamur and someone who's not a Tzadik Gamur. Depends. Normally, Rabbi Yochanan's right. You can provoke them, you can start with them, you can contend with them. But here is a time when the mazel of the Rasha is going well. You back off. At that time, you don't start with them. You don't engage with them. So it's a time when you have to desist or you pull yourself away because 
It's a time where his successes will override your tzidkut. Amar Ula, Italia shel Yavan, zekrach gadol sharomi. Italia, this Italia, Italy of Greece, that is a, the great city of Rome. It was 300 parsaot by 300 parsaot. Again, generally in the Gemara, when you use the word 300, that's an exaggeration. It means extremely large. Rashi over here quotes the Midrash of Italia Shivan, Avon It's a great city that was generated by the sin of Menasheh. When he brought in an idol to the Echal, that was one of the possibilities of what happened. Yarid Gabriel Gabriel comes down and puts a post into the ocean. And then either or Sirton Alalav that a bunch of gravel and dirt gathered around the post. And upon that, the Italy of Greece was built. So that's where the city of Rome came from. There's another midrash that associates the same thing with the Shlomo Amalek when he took Bat Paro. So I think that Midrash is even more interesting because that means that the moment of the consecration of the Migdash, the start of the Migdash, the destruction of the seeds of destruction of the Migdash were already planted. Meaning that the building of Bayit Rishon by Shlomo Melech, at that point, the seeds for the destruction by Rome of the second Bayit was already planted. And that's because the, at the time when Shlomo is building the Migdash and consecrating the Migdash, he's also marrying Bat Paro which is seen as something that was wrong or inappropriate. And in addition, the same thing by Menashe. By Menashe is who emit selim b'heichal, the one who started putting Avodah Zarah into the Heichal, that one who profaned the Mikdash also generates the destroyers or the eventual destroyers of the Mikdash. So here is the city of Rome that is 300 by 300 prasot. It has 365 different marketplaces. Here the Gemara tells you why, because it's like the days of the solar year. And the smallest one of them is the poultry. It was 16 by 16 mil. And each day the king would go out and dine in one of these different marketplaces. Someone who lives in Rome, even though he wasn't born there. He got an allocation. He got some sort of subsidy from the palace, from the king. Noladban, someone who was born in Rome, doesn't live there, also gets a sum of money, an allocation, an allowance from the king. And there are 3,000 bathhouses there. And there are 500 windows that allow the smoke to rise outside of the walls. And Rashi over here says that the windows were above the wall so that the smoke went and didn't interfere, it didn't blacken the walls. Some read, is referencing the city, and others say it referencing the Beibani, the bathhouses. So it's not clear, they're different girsaot here, which depending on the girsa, which like you can see on the side, there it's referencing back to the Beibani, to the bathhouses, otherwise it's an independent statement about the walls. One side is fortified by the ocean. One side is mountainous and has peaks. Another side has a wall of iron. 
The other side is like a gravel and traps or swamps as the protection on that side. So here you have a description of Rome. The way the Marsha reads it is that just like the rewards that are mentioned here for the Rishayim, you can see how great the rewards are. So too the Tzadikim should be certain that that their rewards will far exceed anything that's seen here. The glory of Rome will be pale in comparison to the reward of the Tzadikim Lattidavo. The other thing is that it's also describing here the hedonism of Rome, which was the goal in the Roman Empire, was to accumulate wealth and to enjoy as much as possible, which is represented by the 365 days, which is the solar year. B'nai Israel follows the lunar calendar, Esav Edom follows the solar calendar, and the Shvakim represent the idea of conspicuous spending, the consumerism, the hedonism of Rome, and the same as the bathhouses and so on and so forth. It reminds you of the Gemara in the beginning of Vodazarah, where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is discussing about what the Romans have contributed, and over there we have the difference of opinions about whether when they built all their marketplaces and their roads and the bathhouses, were they doing that to benefit civilization, or were they doing that for their hedonism and their personal benefit? And over here, the Gemara is stating that it seems to be it was done for their personal benefit. It was something that they saw as the purpose in life and something that we are differentiated from and that we disassociate ourselves from. All right, now we move on to the next Mishnah. Next Mishnah begins a series of Mishnayot called the Ein Bain, which are famous in Megillah, which is the Mishnayot here, compare two similar items and say there's no difference between this and that, except for, and it gives you the key differences between two items that are very similar. So, Karuat Megillah If they read the Megillah on the first month of Adar, Vinitabra Shana, after already, they had read the Megillah, they make it into a leap year, and now there's an Adar Shini. They have to read it again in Adar Shini. There's no difference between the first Adar and the second Adar. The only difference is that in the second Adar, you read the Megillah and you give Matanote of Yonim. Otherwise, they are completely equal. So says, Are you trying to suggest here that for the Arba Parshiot that are associated with Adar, that it makes no difference between the first month of Adar and the second month of Adar? Mani, then who's the author of our Mishnah? Mani Matnita, and who's the author of our Mishnah? Lotana Kamov, Lo Rabbi Eliezer, Be Rabbi Yosef, Lo Rabbi Shimon, Ben Gamliel. We have here three different opinions that we're going to bring in a Brayta, and none of them reconcile with our Mishnah and the Tanya. Karu et Megillah Adar They read the Megillah in the first month of Adar. Vinita Brashana, and then all of a sudden they had a leap year. Then you have to read it in Adar Shini. So this is what the Tanakhama says. That any mitzvah that you can do in the second Adar, you can do in the first Adar, with the exception of Kriyata Megillah. You don't read it in Adar Shini. Because any mitzvah you do in the second month, you do in the first month. Meaning for Rabbi Lezib, Rabbi Yossi, the first Adar is the primary Adar. You do read it again in Adar Shini. 
Shkol mitzvot shenogot b'shini, ain't no b'rishon. Any mitzvah you can do in the second month, you cannot do in the first month of Adar. Vishavim, and everybody agrees, v'esbed v'tanit, shesurim b'zeh b'zeh. When it comes to Hesbin and Tanit, doesn't matter Adar Rishon, doesn't matter Adar Shini, the 14th and the 15th and both of these periods of time are restricted in Hesbin and Tanit. So in Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Hainu Tanakamo. Gamar says in the end, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and Tanakamo are the same, which is they require you to read the Megillah again. So Amar Papa, Seder Parshiotik Minayu. No, the difference between them is the Arba Parshiot. The Tanakamo Savar Lechat Chilab Shini. That you should do things in Adar Shini. Vavud Berishon Avud. But if you did it in the first Adar, then you're okay. You're Yotze Bidiavad. Chutz Bar Mimikra Megillah. Except for reading the Megillah, Dafagav the Korub Rishon Korub Sheni. That even though you read it in the first month, you have to read it again in the second month. Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yosei Savar, Afilu Mikra Megillah, the Chatkila Berishon. Lezer Rabbi Yosei says, no, even Mikra Megillah should we do in the front, do in the first Adar. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Savar, Afilu Seder Pashiot, Ikorub Rishon Korub Sheni. Shimon Gamliel says, no, that anything that you need to do must be done in the Adar Sheni. And so for him, the Arba Parshiot must be done in Adar Sheni. So Mani, who's the author of our Mishnah? Itanakamo, if it's the Tanakamo of the Braita, Kasha Matanot. The only thing that he says you have to repeat in Adar Shini is Mikra Migilah. He doesn't mention you have to also do Matanot Yabunim again in Adar Shini. I Rabbi Lazib Rabbi Kasha Nami Mikra Migilah. Rabbi Lazib Rabbi even the reading of the Migilah is a problem because Rabbi Lazib Rabbi says you do everything in the Adar Rishon. So why are you reading the Migilah again in Adar Shini, according to our Mishnah? I Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Kasha said Parshiot. Then you have a problem because Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, according to the way we learned in the Brayta, says that the Arba Parshiot have to be read in Adar Shini. Where according to the Diok out of our Mishnah, that you only read Mikra Migilah and Matanot Yavionin the second month of Adar, that means the Seder Parshiot stay in the first month. So who's the author of our Mishnah? Gemara says, Olam Tanakamo. It's the Tanakamo. Matanak Mikra Migilah. Who had the Matanot Yavionin? He only mentions that you have to repeat. In the bright of the Tanakam only mentions you have to repeat Mikra Megillah in the second month. But automatically, along with Mikra Megillah, comes Matanot Yavunim. Why? The Habahatalya. They're connected. They're dependent on each other. We saw this in yesterday's daf. We saw in the daf before. That when it comes to the Kriyata Megillah for the Kfarim, they give Matanot Yavunim when they read the Megillah because Eneanim, the eyes of Eneanim are looking forward to that when they hear that the Megillah is going to be read. They assume that there's going to be Matanot Yavunim. So there's a deep-seated connection between them. And that's why, if you say Mikra Migilah, you also must mean Matanot Yavunim. No, the author of our mission is Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Umatnitan Chasurei Mechsara, and our mission is missing a couple of key words. It's not comparing the month of Adar Shini to the month of Adar Rishon. It's comparing the 14th of Adar Rishon to the 14th of Adar Shini. What are the differences between the 14th and each of these two? So there, there's no difference other Mikra, Migilah, Umatanot, Evyonim. But the Arba Parshiot, which are associated with the month itself, those are not a differentiating factor that is being mentioned in the Mishnah. They tried to know. You're allowed to make a leap here until the end of Adar. So there were times where, at the last minute, they did make a leap year. But generally, we saw this before in the Gemara, that they were supposed to, already Rosh Hashanah time, declare whether there would be a leap year or not. So they were supposed to give advance notice to people whether there would be a leap year. But for whatever reason, there were times or there was some sort of event that changed things or dynamically moved things, 
So they did have the possibility of making a leap year late in the year, even though generally that was not the practice, and we dissuade people from doing that. Correct. This bright does not just a theoretical case. There's a distinct possibility that something like this could happen, where they did all these things in Adar Rishon, and all of a sudden they find out that there's going to be another Adar, and now they have to deal with it. What do they do at this point? So therefore, when it says the difference between Yudalit and Adar Rishon and Yudalit Arashini is Mikra Miglam Tanot, Halin has paid with Tanit, Shavim. The guards has paid and Tanit, they're equal. And the issue of the Avra Parsha we're not dealing with because we're only dealing with the single day. We've narrowed the mission to talk about the single day and not about the month as a whole. So I'm Rabbi Rabbi That the Allah is like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, which is our practice that everything needs to be repeated in the second month of Adar. Or basically, the second month of Adar is the primary month for all the mitzvot. They both learned it out from one pasuk, which says, Bechol Shana Vishana. We've seen this pasuk before, that every year needs to be the same. Just like in every other year, the Adar that you celebrate Purim is the one that is adjacent to Shvat. So to over here, when are you going to celebrate all the mitzvot of Purim and the month of Adar? In the month of Adar that's closer to Shvat. Then every other year, Adar is adjacent to Nisan. So to here, the adjacent seat to Nisan should trump, and they should do it in the second Adar. I can understand why Rabbi Lezer would have such a position. Because you don't want to pass by a mitzvah. If you have a choice between a mitzvah and doing another aleph, another bet, we're going to opt to do it in another aleph. So we should bring the mitzvah forward. We should celebrate it in Adar Aleph. But, my why does Rabbi Shimon Gamliel think the second Adar is more important? In Okanami, Ein Marvina Mitzvah is a good enough reason to say that we should do everything in the first month of Adar and not in the second month of Adar. So Mar says, well, I'll explain to you what the reason is of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, the Amar Rabbi Tabi, time of the Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Mismaku Ula Lugula Odif. I have another factor here which I need to consider, which is I want to get the Geula, the redemption of Purim, close to the redemption of Pesach. That there's an idea of Mismakula Lugula, that juxtaposing the two different redemptions, the redemption of Purim to the redemption of Pesach, and that would push you towards having the Purim be done in the second month of Adar. If you remember Rashi in the Gemara Tanit says, Mishinichnas Adar, Marbim Bisimcha. What was so unique about Adar? So Rashi said over there, Shiejbo, Purim, Vigulat, Mitzrayim. He mentioned that Adar is colored not only by Purim, but also by its juxtaposition, its adjacency to Nisan and Yitziat Mitzrayim. So Adar draws from that, and that's what makes it a unique month. I would also say that Purim and Pesach have a number of overlapping factors, including the fact that the Shloshim Yom, Lifnei HaPesach, that you start to be Doresh, is on Purim. So the 30 days before Pesach, which I would say is the sphere of influence of the holiday, because you start to learn about the holiday from 30 days before, which means when you're within the context of the holiday, that takes place on Purim. So the context of Pesach begins on the day of Purim. So that's a misma gula de gula. The gula of Purim kicks off the context or the gula of Mitzrayim. That's one thing to note. The other thing to note is the lashon that is found in the Megillah. If you compare the language in the Megillah that talks about the turnaround and the change and the dynamic that happened in the story of Purim, 
And you look in the Haggadah that we read on Pesach, in the bracha that we make at the end of the Haggadah, right before our Shulchan Orech, if you look in the bracha, the language that's taken is almost identical to the language of the Megillah. And so you see there a play on this idea of the Gula, or the turnaround that's happening, that there's a connection between the Gula of Purim and the Gula of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the Gula of Pesach. And that is that they represent two different types of redemption. Yitziat Mitzrayim is a Nes Galui, a redemption or a Gula that was unequivocally the result of Hashem's intervention. Purim, on the other hand, is a Nes Nistar. It's Hashem's intervention, which is not always so apparent, not so obvious. Yet, what we say here is, Mishmach Geula Legeula, that we connect between these two redemptions to show that they are equal as Geulot, that they represent different types of ways that Hashem intervenes and brings redemption to His people, both through a Nes Galui and a Nes Nistar. And once again, brings up, as we've spoken about more recently, the Ramban at the end of Parshat Bo, that we always have to through the Nisim Gluim, through that which transpired in Yitziat Mitzrayim, we has to give us perspective on everything that transpires in the world, even the mundane, even the everyday items, but especially the Nisim HaNistarim that Hashem provides for us, we have to see in that the Yad Hashem. And we have to see that the success of Klal Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael and the ability to survive and succeed against the wishes of our enemies is really a Nes Nistar the Yad Hashem that protects us, that brings us such a Geula. So that's what Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says is the primary thing we need to focus on is this Michut Geula, the Geula. Now he has a different reason. To keep this letter of Purim the second time. Shushenit means the second, and here he's playing on the second, meaning the second month of Adar. And I need both of these. I need the word Shenit, and I need Michta B'choshanah B'shanah. It's the same as every year. If it's just, I should do it the way I do it every year, we'll ask like our question, why don't you do it in the first month? Because that's also like every year where it's close to Shvat. That you do it in the second month. If you just told me the second one, that it was Adar Sheni, you can do it either way. You can do it in the Rishon and the Sheni. don't have to do it in the Sheni. You have to do it like you did it in every other year, which means you do it in that month that is close to Nisan. Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yossi, says that he keeps other Rishon. What does he do with the word Sheni? He needs it for the Limur of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yehuda, the Amr of Shmuel Bar Yehuda. In the beginning they established it in Shushan. And afterwards it spread to the outlying or the other areas. And that's what it means, Shenit. In the first place, it was established in Shushan and Shenit. Afterwards, it was established more broadly in the whole world or Paras Umadai. Okay, we'll stop over here.